watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to The Binge, in which a couple of homos review the latest movies. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and this week we have four recent releases. Barbie, Oppenheimer, Joyride, and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being our highest rating. Consuming moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And Send It Back means... Life is too short for that mess jason how are you we recorded not so long ago and we're back because i think we just there was such anticipation for these movies how has this uh little window been for you you know it's been good it's been good it's been you know barbenheimer fever you know Mm. it's just been rocking the world rocking the nation and, you know, I think it's just such an exciting time, uh, you know, to to be a, a, a movie fan, because to have everybody so excited about these two movies that are original films, uh, you know, these are not sequels, reboots, remakes, franchise, like these are two original films couldn't be more different. Um, and, you know, opening on the same weekend to so much excitement and, you know, somebody pointed out how nice it is that it was not barbie versus oppenheimer who mm. you got it was barbenheimer together and it was understood <laughs> it was understood and widely encouraged that like these movies need to be seen by everybody mm. um and you know in two films that we'll get through these later but generally i think are of, of very high quality uh you know let alone for the middle of the summer uh, you know, these are both movies that likely will be in the awards conversation this year uh you know so it's a really you know, it's been it's been great. And of course, it's been with a grain of salt that we're also in the middle of the strikes. Right. Uh, so the talent has not been able to go out and support the films in that way. Um, but I mean, hopefully the, all the enthusiasm for these films uh, can sort of be a, a motive uh, to the AMPTP uh, to give the creators what they need. You know, like it's, these films are are a perfect example of a harmonious partnership between creatives and and studio types, because, you know, these are films that are written by very creative genius people starring incredibly gifted actors that were put out there with like just unparalleled marketing campaigns from right. the studios. So, like, it is truly, like, the most crystallized, perfect example of, like, what can be accomplished by this meeting between, like, creative and business minds. So, you know, I, I, I hope that, you know, uh, that message is is being felt, you know, within the ranks. And although it seems like from what I'm hearing, it's not. Uh, oh, and no. It's like, oh, Barbenheimer is the last hurrah of the year and it's going to be everything's going to fall off a cliff from here. We'll see. Uh, but yeah, so, you know, it's been a heady time. Rebecca, how you been? Um, I've been okay. Um, I think it has been really exciting watching everyone, um, get excited about Barbie and Oppenheimer. Um, I'm also incredibly excited about the other two movies that we're reviewing this week. Um, it does feel like we are at the precipice of an abyss because <laughs> I think the, the only <laughs> other trailer I can think of having seen Recently was the new Willy Wonka movie, which, woo, oh boy, um, that's a it's a weird feeling to to be like, oh, it's not coming out till Christmas. There's this with the opposite of anticipation, like dread. Yeah, that, yeah. I guess it's dread. Um, Resi- resignation. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that looks uh, terrible. Um, <laughs> and people keep saying, like, how is this not, how is this an actual movie and not just a joke from the other two? Right? Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, so mm-hmm. I guess we'll see yeah. uh, what the next couple months have to offer. Um, you know, there are definitely no, there's no shortage of, of films that I've missed um, over the last mm-hmm. ever. Um, <laughs> <laughs> if I could just go through the, previous podcast and find the ones that I, I didn't see and yeah. go back and see them. Exactly. Let's go back and revisit films that we've passed quote reviewed. Uh, and- <laughs> when I was like that was whatever you say, I agree with Jason. I can, <laughs> if I can find those keywords, I'll know which ones I never saw. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. And I mean, that's, and that's another sort of, I guess, like frustrating thing about what's happening right now with AMPTP is the studios are starting to, you know, pull their movies from the release calendar um, not because they're not finished, but because, well, in, 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 I think ostensibly they're saying they're doing it because they're like, well, we don't want to, um, put these movies out there without the talent supporting them because we want them to succeed and do that. We need the talent on the promotional trail. Right. Right. Um, but also I feel like it's a touch vindictive. Uh, it's not, especially since like one of the first ones that they postponed was the Zendaya Luca Guadagnino movie. Um, oh, right. And you uh, took that personally. Of when well, we all did. Uh, you know, they gave us the trailer teasing a Zendaya and two guys threesome, and then they just pulled it. Uh, it meaning the release. And, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, uh, they're 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 out there being like, oh, sorry, fans. Like, hey, if you don't like it, take it up with the writers and acting guilds because they're the reason we're doing this. Uh, you know, so I think the the playbook continues apace. Uh, mm. But yeah, we'll see what this podcast looks like for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> another another uh, scheduled break. Another yes. scheduled hiatus. <laughs> I'm sure we can do something themey. Yeah, exactly. We can we can always do with our our, our long threatened theme episode. <laughs> <laughs> theme is desperation. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, shall we get started with the first movie of the week? Yeah, we have Which a lot to talk about this week. We do. Um, the first one we're going to talk about is Barbie. Barbie and Ken are having the time of their lives in the colorful and seemingly perfect world of Barbie land. However, when they get a chance to go to the real world, they soon discover the joys and perils of living amongst humans. I mean, what can be said about Barbie that hasn't already been said? It's a great point. I feel like I have talked about this movie incessantly uh, for the last, how long has it been out now? Like three weeks? Mm-hmm. Incessantly talking about this movie. And not because I want to keep bringing it up. Uh, <laughs> it's being brought up to me. And, uh, you know, and I, I keep being put in a position where I have to defend it uh, mm. from, from various factions. Uh, because, of course, it's also become a, a, a big salvo in the culture war. Uh, but you know, it's, it's just, I, I, I cannot tell you the last time that I had this much fun sitting in movie theater. I truly can't. Wow. Uh, I was living. I, I was, I was, I laughed so much. It's so dumb. It's so funny. (laughs) It's so to be so dumb and so clever at the same time is, is my favorite kind of humor. Mm -hmm. Um, also, um, we did see it in century city. Oh, uh, in, in Century City. Oh, right. There's multiple jokes about it in the movie. Uh, <laughs> so it was the correct location to see it in. And yes, the place where we saw the movie could be seen in the background of one of the shots. Oh, wow. Uh, so which was like Scott and I were like, wait, how often has that happened? 
um, because we went to the um, the premiere of Milk in San Francisco many years ago, and that was at the Castro Theater, which you can see throughout the movie. So there was that right. moment. And then when we saw The Shape of Water at TIFF, um, wherever year that was at TIFF, that was like the theater that it was filmed at was the theater we were seeing it in. So Scott and I were like, put this one on the board with those two. We're, <laughs> we're, we're back, baby. We're once again in the movie in a roundabout way. <laughs> Uh, so, but yeah, just big fan, big fan. Um, uh, Rebecca, what were your thoughts on Barbie? Um, I mean, again, to say what everyone has been saying, uh, Ryan Gosling really stands out as a, mm-hmm. a comedic star. Um, Margot Robbie is fantastic. It's so, it's so clever. Um, I know that you were, I know it's in this, in the trailer, so you were probably primed, but also, I can't imagine how you felt uh, with all of the closer to fine moments. Mm-hmm. It was, you know, yeah, I, I remember first seeing it as like a, on like some lesbian Instagram accounts being like <laughs> the Barbie trailer has closer to fine. I'm like, what? It does. And like, I really tried to not like over consume, you know, Barbie promotional materials before the movie came out. Um, which, you know, I think ultimately paid off because a lot of it was like new to me um, mm-hmm. when I finally watched the movie. But so, yeah, I definitely was not aware that, like, it would be in the movie multiple times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but again, it's just such a great little touch of like just to just to further color in um this kind of overarching worldview, sort of cultural holistic philosophy that Greta Gerwig is approaching this with, mm-hmm. you know, that like in Barbie Land, and it combines this sort of just this combination of this thing, this 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 thing that you know culturally uh, has has come to present something very impossibly sort of borderline misogynistic and oppressive in terms of like reinforcing female beauty standards and all that, you know, to to sort of wrest it away from that and then to be like, no, in Barbie Land they listen to Closer to Fine all the time. It's just like <laughs> I I love this, I love this. Um, but yeah, that's certainly one of the things that I've heard. Uh, the most in terms of criticism is, you know, people arguing this is just a Mattel commercial. This mm. is, you know, this is corporate propaganda. This is, you know, uh, this is a movie that wants to have it have its cake and eat it too, where it gets to, you know, be all critical of the corporate world while also being a tool of it to make it more money. Da 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 da. Um, have you have you heard similar complaints? I haven't heard that complaint at all. Um, oh, good. Yeah, well, I'm I'm happy for you. <laughs> <laughs> I did hear another are. complaint. Um, that resonated with me. I left the movie feeling overall, you know, I don't want to hate it. I did find it very funny and uh, a real treat for the eyes. I love the dance sequence. Um, I love the acting was phenomenal. Um, The first sort of like lingering thought was I felt like it could have been a little tighter. Some of the editing Mm. seemed like some of the scenes went like a beat too long. and then I was talking to a friend of ours who shall remain nameless um, <laughs> and out of out of your uh, in continuing your good graces. Um, but it was Deborah. And um, we were talking about how it's something about the logic just doesn't really work. Um, and I, I couldn't put my finger on it, but I, I think she she helped uh, help me understand by articulating it as like. There's a point in the movie where there's this change between, or we go into it thinking that what happens in Barbie Land is this reflection, this sort of like opposite reflection of what's happening in the real world. But then things start to change within Barbie Land that start to change the outside of the real world. But then we don't really 
something's broken there about the logic of how those two things interact and like what's happening. Uh, like when the uh, Mojo Dojo Casa house uh, mm-hmm. becomes a toy that people are buying, like why is that? And it doesn't really explain how like the outside world has changed at all or if it has or should because of what's changing in Barbie land. And between that and then some of the kind of prolonged scenes with, and I can't believe I'm saying this, Rhea Perlman, who was an absolute <laughs> delight to see. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wouldn't take that character casting back at all. But some of it just felt a little like, I'm not, I'm not, I think we're kind of like trailing from the point here a little bit. Um, so I felt like the, the message could have been just like a little bit tighter or the story. And there was like periods in that sort of last half around like, Will's Farrell, Will Farrell's character and the the other like board members like like where are they? They're supposed to be like in this pursuit, but then we kind of don't check back with them for a while. So maybe it's an editing criticism. Um, mm-hmm. So it, yeah, it just it wasn't like super tight, um, but it's still incredibly enjoyable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I I I, I didn't notice any, you know. Uh, editing sort of you know tightness issues on on my end and and you know the the logic piece of it i i also i guess didn't you know i i don't tend to try to track logic in movies uh (laughs) it's just not the way my brain is designed uh i'm a vibe person so i follow Mm. i track vibes only and the vibes on this one were impeccable Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um but you know i did love the i mean in terms of like the direction the influence of the patriarchy within barbie land i thought was incredibly very effective and very funny and very pointed right yes um and then yeah to your point like the the reverse of it i didn't even remember that i don't even remember that there was now casa mojo dojos being bought out in the out in the real world um you know so that i can only talk up to some sort of you know symbiotic relationship between the two but yeah i mean like, i feel like it's 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 giving it you know more uh it's not oppenheimer uh, at the end of the day um in terms of you know like well where's your you know like show explain to me in physics you know or you know that kind of thing uh what does einstein think about all this uh what's he saying at the lake um but was it about barbie uh but yeah no i mean like so yeah those things didn't catch my eye um as much doesn't mean they aren't there of course um and in terms of the corporate thing i just feel like you know if this is meant to be an ad for mattel it's a pretty shitty fucking ad because it makes mattel look not great um nor at any point are they like going out of their way to highlight a product line if anything they have like you know winking references to like failed past products such as midge the pregnant barbie uh you know like this is this is not you know in in every movie benefits corporations let's be clear studio movies benefit corporations a wide variety of them and yet people want to crucify barbie for doing something that every studio movie does and people don't, you know, they're like, oh, well, it's all about, you know, Mattel, Mattel, Mattel. I'm just like, OK, well, like nobody says that, like, Dungeons and Dragons as a Hasbro movie, uh, you know, it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's just Hasbro corporate propaganda. And, and that's because it does not the movies don't expose the corporation that's behind them. But the Dark right. Barbie does expose the corporation behind it, which I think is is smart and interesting to do. I think it's a uh, yeah, very bold choice, especially, you know, the movie you know, wasn't regarded across, um, you know, point of views and ideologies. Um, it wasn't lauded in all circles, right? So I think you're taking mm-hmm. a stand against people who are prepared to hate Barbie for being 
too feminist or, you know, I'm not going to even right. say the other word. That, um, mm-hmm. So it, it is a gamble um, at a time when Massive people are gamble. like, you know, brands are canceling deals with like, you know, trans representatives and, and things like mm-hmm. that. I think that, um, I, yeah, we live in a capitalist country. Like, right. yeah, yes, of course there's going to be uh, um, uh, organ- or businesses involved when you're going to talk about something that is also such a shorthand for so many social issues in America. Right. And that's, and, and that takes me back. Thanks for saying that. Cause that reminded me of something that I thought after watching it, which was, cause you know, I of course had also, and we saw the Sunday of opening weekend. And by that point, you know, it was already, you know, becoming this culture war thing and, you know, accusing of the word that we don't want to say. Um, and so, and I'm just like, Oh gosh, I'm sure they're exaggerating. And I watch them. It's like, Oh my gosh, yeah, no, exaggerating. it is. <laughs> <laughs> and how amazing is that? I'm just like, wow, this movie is like, this is this is a major studio tentpole movie from a cor- from a corporation about a product, and it is the most like radically that word movie I've seen <laughs> in so fucking long. And just today, it hit a billion dollars worldwide. Wow, wow. One like, thing. It, Oh, it's no, please incredible. Go ahead. go ahead. No, go ahead. This is a different tangent. And it, this is, yes. a, I, I can't say this is a criticism of the movie, but the, it, it was an experience that I had. I watched it um, the day it came out that Friday. Um, I did wear pink. We did wear pink. <laughs> um, and we saw it like, I don't know, like five or something, six in, in the afternoon. And there were some families there with younger children. Ooh, that, and, I was going to ask about this. Yeah. I think clearly like i could like the kids were kind of like a lot of like getting up and using the restroom multiple times or like kind of <laughs> fidgeting or like opening their phones and so it was like kind of a distracting movie watching experience but at the same time i'm like i get i get it like there's no, there's like a 6 year old here who's not understanding half of the movie um mm-hmm. and Maybe, I don't maybe think that they, made it feel longer, the editing issues. Maybe maybe it just felt really long because you were just like distracted and annoyed by the kids the whole time. <laughs> I, I actually wasn't. I, I I wasn't annoyed. I was like, this this makes sense. This movie, how would you tell a little kid yeah. who likes Barbie that you can't go see the Barbie movie that everyone's talking about? <laughs> it's all over TV. And then you get there and it's like, this movie is not for kids at all. They're mm-hmm. going to get bored. Um, and it, it's a tough, like needle to thread but um it is it is i don't, I don't know what the no. solution is to that yeah no it's true and that's an interesting it's a conversation that i was in recently as well um because two friends of mine who saw it and didn't like it are parents and they took their like nine-year-old daughter and her cousin to go see it and then like in and, and then the whole movie they were just the parents were just kind of like this is a bad movie and then afterward um and they didn't say anything that to the girls and after the word the girls were kind of like just talking to themselves and they was kind of like, I don't understand what the message of the movie was. Is it that men are bad? Is it that like, mm. we should just like do whatever we want. And I'm like, all the above girls. <laughs> <laughs> Get in girls. I'm like, see, they got it. <laughs> they got it. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah. And then, so we were all arguing about this and the one parent friend was just like, he's like, he's like, he's like the two movies that I can tell you that do perfectly what this movie failed off spectacularly to do are frozen in a Lego movie. He's mm. like, you know, Frozen is a perfect feminist children's movie. Uh, and Lego movie is a perfect children's like corporate, let's do riff on a product movie. Um, he's like that that they they do perfectly, but this movie fails to do. And then other people in the argument were just like, this isn't a kid's movie. 
And he's like, what do you mean? We're like, it's not a kid's movie. Mm. It's very fucking PG-13. Uh, you know, like, that's your first sign right there. Like, they are not aiming to make this for young children. This is for, you know, and then other people remember, like, this is for women who grew up playing with Barbies and are now right. adults. <laughs> like, this is, like, this is not meant for kids. And I was like, well, I feel like it might be the kind of kids movie where it's like, it has both. Like, you know, kids can watch it and just, like, enjoy, like, the bright colors and, like, the, you know, like, the sort of, like, the over-the-top humor, physical humor, um, you know, and not understand a, a, a lick of what's really being said. And then parents understand all the all the other, you know, all the actual sort of commentary and, and, and meta humor and all the rest of it. But, I mean, but it might not even be that. Like, it might not even be that little for kids. Like, this is definitely not, like... You know, yeah, I mean, it's rated PG-13, which I feel like truly is like the most obvious indicator that like this is not a movie that Greta right. Gerwig nor Warner Brothers conceived as being for for small children. Totally. And I and I agree. I just think it's hard to say Don't bring you your can't go see like a six year old sees the commercials and wants to go see Barbie. How do you say no? It's not for you. Like this is doesn't feel like it's an easy message to convey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, of course. And especially because Margot Robbie. I feel like she has this once in a generation movie star quality to her. Um, like she just, you just, she's irresistible, irresistible. She has so much charisma. She is so very beautiful. She is so very talented. And like, you know, yeah, if I'm, you know, like if you're a little kid and you see like this gorgeous, like megawatt smiling lady, like wearing fun clothing, you know, like, like winking at the camera, you're like, I want to go watch her, you know, at least little gay boys do. <laughs> um, so, but I mean, like, you know, which is kind of a tangent for me just to like, I mean, I feel like it's, it's the Margot Robbie of it all. Oh, she's just, she's just like, yeah, she's just one of a kind. Um, you know, I feel like she's that, 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 that kind of, you know, this is almost like an outdated model of movie star in a way, mm, you know, cause mm-hmm. like, it's sort of like an America sweetheart type where it's like back in the day, it was like Julia Roberts and then Sandra Bullock and then Reese Witherspoon. Like, you know, these people who come along and they just have it and then they become just like the center of the movie universe. I feel like Margot Robbie is in that lineage. Um, and she is adventurous too. I mean, she's a very gifted actor and she's done a lot of adventurous stuff. And I mean, her first real role was in Wolf of Wall Street. I mean, like to come out of the gate with a performance of that caliber in the Scorsese movie opposite Leo DiCaprio. Right. Like she she was like throwing it down from day one. Um, and then to use her her capital to get a movie like Barbie made and to push harder and harder and harder on Warner to give them more and more and more money by promising them like, no guys, this is a billion dollar movie. And now here we are not even a month out and she's been vindicated because now I hit a billion. Like, I just think that, yeah, I I have a lot of warm feelings toward Margot Robbie. And, uh, and I think that this is just a a performance that only a true movie star could give because you need to balance that. You need to have that just iconic charisma Mm -hmm. to be able to embody the quote stereotypical Barbie. And she has that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, she really has. It, it is interesting for someone with such a um, spectacular face to be so <laughs> chameleonic at the same time. Um, it, it, she's a, a very interesting. I, I, I don't even know. It's like I feel like someone like a Reese Witherspoon is almost like becomes too much of like a typecast of herself. Um, mm. And I think that the, the real magic of Margot Robbie is that um, maybe because she isn't as much in the in the press as like a like her as a person, she takes all these different roles and 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 sort of I don't know it doesn't it doesn't feel like she pulls focus from the movies that yeah. she's in as as a um, a superstar actress. 
Yeah. No, that's a good point. It's a good point because this is this Barbie is still not a quote Margot Robbie vehicle, right? right? Like it's very much an ensemble, and Ryan Gosling is very much a co-lead. And you know, and 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 as you kind of started off the review with, like he's the real draw. Like he's the one that people yeah. are walking away talking about. Even people who hate the movie are just like, I can't deny Ryan Gosling in this movie. <laughs> Uh, I mean, it's, it's just, it's so watching one of the world's most beautiful men just clown on himself and, and his genetic perfection uh, <laughs> is just like, I mean, he's done it before a like crazy, stupid love. He kind of did it too. Mm, um, mm. But, you know, but in this, I mean, it's just another level. Uh, and I mean, I, it's, it's just, it's, it's such a, oh, what a joy, what a joy. I mean, in every, the whole ensemble cast is great. Um, and you know, yeah, I, I just, yeah, I, I, it's, it, it made me happy <laughs> in, in closing. Barbie made me happy. Um, are you giving it a binge it? I am. Are is it your pick of the week? <laughs> I guess you could say it is. Yeah. Um, it is not my pick of the week, but I would also say binge it. Uh, it's still in theaters and it is rated as we mentioned multiple <laughs> times, PG 13. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, the second movie this week, the uh, uh, Heimer part of Barbenheimer, is um, Oppenheimer. During World War II, J. Robert Oppenheimer is appointed to work in the top-secret Manhattan Project. Oppenheimer and a team of scientists spend years developing and designing the atomic bomb. Their work comes to fruition on July 16, 1945, as they witness the world's first nuclear explosion, forever changing the course of history. Okay, yeah. <laughs> in contrast, kids loved this one. <laughs> I know there was like some letterbox review I saw that was like dropping the kids off at Oppenheimer so the parents can watch Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> also, on the whole, on the on the Oppen, on the Barbenheimer of it all, I saw somebody say like, oh, you, you thought Barbenheimer was something. Just wait until this day in September, whenever the new Saw and the Paw Patrol movie come out, because you're not ready for Saw Patrol. <laughs> Lovely. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's coming. Control. It's coming. <laughs> <laughs> so this might be, I don't know if we reviewed a Christopher Nolan movie on the show before. I don't know if we, re- I don't think we reviewed Tenet. Um, uh, I definitely I haven't I seen it still. So um, okay, <laughs> maybe we didn't. Who can say? I don't know if we did Dunkirk. Inter- Interstellar was like, I think right before we started the show. I think we did Dunkirk. And maybe we did Dunkirk, which which I don't know what I said at the time, but I feel like I probably have the same feeling which I have now, which is that it was boring. (laughs) (laughs) It's all right. (laughs) Um, So here we are with a new Christopher Nolan event film. Um, And, and for me personally, I think this is his best movie since inception. I think it surpasses, I think it surpasses dark Knight rises and interstellar and Dunkirk and tenet. Um, and which is not me saying Oppenheimer is a masterpiece. It's me saying that those other movies were not great. Um, <laughs> and this movie is better. Uh, but you know, uh, you know, I will say that for a three hour movie, I admired the way that Nolan, I, in my estimation, really kept his foot on the gas the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, just really gradually, you know, building this, this, this mounting, uh, you know, dread and tension, um, I think that he, the way that he balanced his traditional Nolan time, you know, um, various timelines and everything. Although I will say, I didn't, I didn't even recognize that some of them were different timelines until I was reading about the movie afterward. I'm like, wait, that wasn't the same time. I'm like, oh. wait, the trial was the trial wasn't happening in Los Alamos. Uh, uh, wait, <laughs> but didn't you notice how they looked older and also the black and white thing? 
I did notice that. And yet, <laughs> no, I mean, there, there, there was there were like there was one timeline that I was I didn't realize was supposed to be later. I think like the timeline. I didn't realize that whenever this the, the big scene of Oppenheimer and Robert Downey Jr. going and like the, the Einstein, the lake thing, the movie kind of hangs its hat on. Um, I don't think I realized that that was supposed to be like after the bomb. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, also, so. I would prefer if we call it Einstein on the beach. Um, <laughs> Um, noted noted that would be uh, i mean that would really just be beautiful in terms oh. of um callback to one yep. of my favorite county crow songs <laughs> really one, my everyone, favorite everyone's having a hot einstein summer so i, think <laughs> I, I will i will allow for einstein on the beach reference so um, silly Hmm. Uh, what did you? What was your initial take on this film? <laughs> so silly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like I just said it. Yeah. It silly, silly Billy movie. I'm. I am surprised. I. 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 I don't know how to hold these two thoughts in my head. Which is that movie did not need to be three hours long, and also it didn't feel like three hours long. Mm. <laughs> um. So I guess I agree with your gas in the pedal the whole time. Um. It seemed. Yeah. It seemed silly. It seemed like. A, Steven Spielbergy saving private Ryan type of I don't know. I guess I I guess I have a um a bias in my head that Nolan is more artistic and that this was absolutely not. This just felt like mm. some sort of blockbuster field of dreams for physicists. <laughs> if if field of dreams was also about like nihilism and the end of the world. <laughs> I mean they are dead. <laughs> so it's not not about that. You're like they're not they're not not both about a bunch of dead people. <laughs> um yeah, I don't know. It, there are those movies, right, where you're like, "Oh, if someone's like into this niche group of like people that other people don't know, it's it's fun to see actors dressed up as your favorite physicists." Um, from the 1940s. That Niels Bohr trading card is really going to pay off <laughs> now. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I was fine. Uh, it, it definitely felt like it. The, the fact that it was made by Nolan, which is the only thing that, like, brought it to the level of it even being a Barbenheimer event, not just like Barbie weekend. And also this movie about a, phys a physicist um, it failed. He, I don't think he did anything, particular. the guy who did tenant time and interstellar, I just didn't feel like this was anything special. Hmm, interesting. Uh, I, I feel like I liked Chernobyl better. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, Chernobyl was great. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Binge it to Chernobyl. Next. <laughs> what do we got uh, next? <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I thought I thought that this movie did have, um, you know, that sort of Nolan attention to detail on all things except for women, of course. Oh, of course. You mean the fact uh, that they're all crazy. <laughs> <laughs> women are either naked or crazy or both. Am I right? Mm -hmm. uh, which we can dive into that now as well uh i actually right as we started getting this review i realized that like i had last night was one of those nights where i had like a lot of weird dreams and one of the dreams oh. i had which i guess you can characterize as a nightmare involved emily blunt winning the oscar for this oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
I had like a dream, but like I was like at the ceremony and I like and I couldn't find out who won any category and I was so anxious. I was like, who won? Who won? And then I and I like glanced over some time to see like Emily Blunt like rise from her seat in tears, like go and accept her Oscar for this. And I'm just like, no. <laughs> uh, so so I, I've been shaken all day by it. Um I'm so sorry. But yeah, no, there's there's a really hilarious reel um or TikTok or something that Ingu sent me. Uh, of like how Nolan writes women, and it's basically just like a parody of of the two women in this movie, it's played mm. by Emily Blunt, and Lawrence Pugh, both brilliant actresses, uh, neither of whom, <laughs> uh, both of whom deserve far better than right. was written for them in this film. Florence Pugh in particular, uh, who is topless Jesus. for nearly her entire screen time, um, and uh, and and that's about that. That was uh, there. The Vulture was doing this like sort of this this rundown of uh of of the different characters. Uh, in this movie and how like you know he sort of gives uh each of them like one uh uh sort of character trait uh you know so you can help remember them since there's so many mm. um and what it said was most of the supporting characters in Oppenheimer are sketched with only a single trait Gene Tatlock is naked <laughs> <laughs> Richard Feynman plays the bongos Edward Teller stopped worrying and loves the bomb Emily Blunt's frustrated wife, Kitty, gets more screen time than most, but even she is defined largely by her ubiquitous martinis. Wow. Yeah. Which is accurate. Uh, she is just uh, depicted as just like unfailingly brittle and drunk. And that's about it. And, you know, she and, and she has her big Oscar scene uh, while she's being uh, cross-examined mm-hmm. uh, in this sort of kangaroo court. Um, but even that scene which no, this is not a knock on her. She plays the living hell out of that scene. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but the writing, but doesn't make any sense. Like the writing of how, the, how she just pivots in that scene. It almost makes it seem like her being a miserable drunk was a strategy the whole time. Just so she could <laughs> fool them in a thing that she would be a miserable drunk on the stand and not suddenly turn the tables and then being just like questioning their, you know, their fucking grammar or whatever it was. Um, that is a masterful long con, I would say. <laughs> And so whenever we see the pivot about a miserable drunk, (laughs) just doing it for the, for the flip, we got to respect it. It's called blunting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, But yes. And then of course there's Olivia Thurlby as girl scientist. Um, And, uh, and yeah, that's that. Oh, also it just occurred to me. Um, Mima asked to be on this review. So my apologies oh. to Mima that we didn't. I wish you could share some personal anecdotes about J. Robert Oppenheimer. <laughs> She's like, J. Rob was kind of a shit. <laughs> uh, like, he sells me $20. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we'll have to. Mima can send us a prepared statement to read in the next episode. Maybe that can be the next episode. It's just Mima revisits Oppenheimer and just gives us her <laughs> first person account of what happened back then. But. Uh, but yeah, because of course, you know, the, the cold war of it all uh, mm-hmm. intersects with her, her expertise. Um, but yeah, no, so, I mean, lived experience. Bit, <laughs> her expertise and her lived experience. No, I think she was, she was mentioning, because she actually came and saw it with us. Um, she was in town and we went to go see Oppenheimer together. So, uh, so which was probably her way of being like, now you have to let me on the show. And yet I forgot. Mm. Um, out of sight, out of mind. She's not here right now. So I'm just like, well, <laughs> guess we'll just do the regular interview review. But, but she was giving me information on the actual, on the woman that Olivia Thurlby played because they were old friends, her and mm-hmm, that woman. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but yeah, uh, you know, so, so that aside, 
you know, I did think that the movie did a great job with, I think the thing that makes it compelling for me is that there is that ambiguity the entire time. Um, you know, there is that, that tent, that tension ambiguity over like, what is it that we're making? Is this, a, is this the right thing to do? Um, how is this going to be used? What are the ramifications? Like, I, I do think that sort of like that, that grappling with the, um, the responsibility is what made it interesting and not just this sort of like salvatory, um, like let's celebrate these genius men and their great minds thing. Um, because it is ultimately, you know, in, in the, the final moments of the film, especially, um, you know, essentially saying like what they did was, was, it was bad. It was a bad thing that, that possibly ruined the world forever. Whoa, whoa, um, whoa, whoa. Not so fast. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go on. <laughs> Uh, so, you know, so I think that that's what made it interesting to me is like to, to make it, to take it past the Aaron Sorkin where, you know, it's like, you know, shut up lady. I have an idea, mm-hmm. um, you know, celebration of great men, uh, however troubled they might be with, but you know, the men might be flawed, but their ideas are not. Mm, they'll um, walk you know, and theorize. Is, mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. Which is the Sorkin of it all. Whereas this is about flawed people that have ideas that can lead to, you know, annihilation. Um, so, and that they successfully create something that could lead to annihilation. Uh, so I feel like that, that, that element of it was, was sort of, you know, intellectually fascinating enough to me to keep me, to keep me, to keep me engaged. To it a did degree. Some of those times it was like, I, I don't want to be part of this project because I don't believe in what the outcome is counterpoint, but we can do it before they do right. resolved. <laughs> I think it didn't quite go <laughs> right. far enough. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine a women talking like movie about this mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. Eh? Eh? <laughs> I mean, except for it'd be all the men talking. You not want to watch men talking. Uh, uh, but uh, but also, and then this is, of course, like a, you know, historical, you know, depiction of what happened. Um, you know, and that was a, you know, a, a motivating factor for them. You know, it's like, oh, well, then aren't the, the race to, to create this thing. One note that Mima had, I love your thoughts on. Mm-hmm. Is she felt like the movie ultimately? She thought it was cowardly that the movie did not show us um, anything of, of of what happened, of the actual impact of the bombs um, in Japan. And um, so, even though it alludes to it, you know, it shows him watching footage of it and and wincing and looking away. And then there's that scene where you know he's starting to kind of come apart, and he's watching the audience, and they start to you know mm-hmm. the skin starts to fall away from their face and. Um, apparently that was Nolan's daughter, um, that played the woman whose face started to peel away, which Mm. is interesting that he cast her. Um, so, you know, so it's, it nods to it and ultimately I'm sure the movie would say like, well, that's not what this is about. This is not about that. Um, you know, this is about him. It's not about them. It's about the white man. Mm -hmm. Um, and the fact that he is now sad. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'd love your, would love your thoughts on if you think it would have been a stronger movie if it included actual footage from the nuclear fallout. And if you think it was maybe cowardly to let itself off the hook, not showing that. Um, I, I did, it did strike me when they had that scene of, of them watching it, um, without showing it to us. And I remember sort of like bracing myself, expecting yeah. them to, um, I think it's okay. I think you can find that information. Um, it's available for you to research. Um, I don't know that it was necessary. I, it's that's always a tough thing, right? Like, is is showing something brutal or violent or gory um, going to 
um, affect change or is it mm-hmm. going to change minds or is it sort of, um, you know, gratuitous and, um, and unnecessary re-traumatizing, re-traumatizing definitely. And I think, mm-hmm. I think given, you know, no other historical footage was shown, um, right. I think at that point, like there weren't any, you know, actors or the dramatization of the the POV from Japan that mm-hmm. um, I think it was fine to not show it. But I, I'm glad that they showed them being upset by it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you uh, on that point. And, I, and she also was like, even if we'd had like just a character that like, you know, maybe, you know, we are introduced to like, you know, some character who is in Japan, who's just like a civilian, you know, just mind their business. And, and then there's, you know, some sort of like, you know, and then we see their point of view, you know, or like, you know, just introducing some sort of representation so that there's a, a, you know, a a humanization of the people that this impacted. Um, But I do think that like, it would almost become a different movie at that point. Um, And that part of the focus was like, they, they were not, they were developing this not knowing how it would specifically be used right you know like they knew that this was being done at the behest of of, you know of the government but you know but they they did not necessarily know how it's going to be used or and then ultimately in the end did not agree with you know how it was used um so it's not you know and then you know we we see that yes he is he gets to be like a conscientious objector and gets to get sassy with the president and all that stuff um, but then we see that like that's all good and well, but it didn't change what happened. You know, it didn't it didn't change mm. the his 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 culpability in his in his breakthrough being used as this, you know, as a weapon of mass destruction. And, you know, and we in his lingering fear that like he may have like undone something profound about human existence. Um so, you know, so but yeah, I I, I tend to so so there you go, Mima. We considered your point and we disagree. Um <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think that might be been the first time in the movie i also maybe think of chernobyl right um because mm. that movie goes or that show series yeah. yeah does show you like the fallout of of a nuclear reactor and the way that it affects the human body in yeah. very graphic ways um again not showing like real footage but um the dramatization um but I guess that's why I liked it better. No, just kidding. Uh, I'm gross. That, but that that was that whole thing. Like the journey of that movie was through the eyes of a firefighter who was, you know, didn't right. know what he was getting into. And then you also see the like politics at play. And so I think that would have been a different movie if they had gone the whole route that way of like these parallel stories. Um, but that wasn't it. So I do think including it in, if the rest of the movie was the way it was, it wouldn't make sense. Yeah. Yes, I, I concur. Uh, this movie also has the largest assemblage of young brunette actors I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> every single one under the sun is in their own point or another. Uh, this is also a fine, uh, interesting sort of late career performance for Robert Downey Jr. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is the kind of role we haven't seen him play in a super long time because, of course, it's been sort of like MCU or bust for him for the last 20 years. Uh, so to see him do this kind of character work again was pretty thrilling, um, because I mean, he is a great actor, uh, and you know, to see him, and of course he's aged up here. Um, but I mean, it's, a, it's a much more, it's a more subdued nuanced performance than we see from him a lot too. He tends to really go big. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and I thought it was, uh, yeah, just thrilling to see him do this kind of work again. Yeah. Yeah. Agree. That was, um, that was, a, I think, another interesting nuanced character in the story that you you learn a lot about, um, and how it 
affects the overall message, which I think was the most interesting thing that came out of the movie, um, was just these sort of people, um, the scientists being used. Uh, there's this like really great dialogue between Oppenheimer and other scientists, and he's trying to convince him to come on board and um, how, you know, it's okay even if you had this past um, uh, with with um, socialism and the Communist Party, like they're, they're okay with that. And, it, and the other scientist, you know, mentions like, well, they are until they won't be. Like once they have um, mm. what you've done for them, you're out of the loop and you see how Oppenheimer is later, you know, yeah. shut out from um, information by the, by the military and how the the politics and not just like you know political parties, but the politics of people pursuing their own career um, uh, progress, you know, use use him in one way or another. So that I mean that was very interesting. I think that multiple timelines did not help make that point um, mm-hmm. because again, so many things that were very similar were happening in parallel and it was hard to see how they relate to each other. The whole like kangaroo court yeah. thing and the, the like the quote unquote present day, um, mm-hmm. like confirmation hearing. It was yeah. tough to see how they, uh, overlap, uh, because like not that much time had passed between the two. So yeah. it was like subtle enough to be confusing. And I think it, that, that being one of the biggest, um, points, of the movie about, you know, the government and the military being the ultimate bad guy, um, mm. we're sort of lost from that editing choice around timelines. Yeah. 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 I, I could definitely see that. I, I, I don't know why he does this. <laughs> I don't know why he, why he has to do this, this timeline trickery, but, uh, oh, well, um, Oh, well, uh, oh, well, my review is, oh, well, uh, uh it's getting a send it back for me. Is it really? No, I guess it's getting a consumer moderation. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It feels uh, like well, a lot. Well, uh, I'm I'm giving it a binge it, so feel free to oh. use it in the back, and we can split them, and then it ends up in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That that works. Um, <laughs> Oppenheimer is in theaters, hey guys. and it's rated R. Movie number three is Joyride. When Audrey's business trip to Asia goes sideways, she enlists the help of Lolo her childhood best friend, Kat, a college friend, and Deadeye, Lolo's eccentric cousin. Their epic no-holds-barred experience becomes a journey of bonding, friendship, belonging, and wild debauchery that reveals the universal truth of what it means to know and love who you are. Well, this is my pick of the week. Well, <laughs> it's one of. <laughs> um, uh, this movie. I saw it opening weekend and then I saw it again last night because it is streaming now. Or available on VOD at least. Yeah. Yes. Oh yes. That's the difference. Means that means you have to buy or rent it. Yeah. Right. You still got to pay 20 bucks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's not streaming for free um, (laughs) on a service that you subscribe to. Not yet. What a delight. This movie to me feels like bridesmaids. In that is a vehicle for four incredibly hilarious and, and more. Ronnie Chang's in it. Um, just hilarious actors being so funny. This movie is so unpredictable. It goes so many places and um, it has a lot of heart. And one of the um, just, you know, uh, most memorable 
tattoo scenes of all time. Uh, uh, a great music video moment. Um, mm-hmm. Just it touches on family. It, touch, it touches on friendships. Um, I I couldn't stop smiling when I left the theater. Uh, yes, uh, I'll say I'll say this about Joyride. Uh, this this for me is the worst movie of the year. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> this, although I didn't love it as much as you. Um, this for me is an interesting example of, I think this is the first time that I've seen a raunch comedy that I thought actually got better when it got to the serious part. Mm. Uh, because when this movie hits the midpoint where, you know, sort of everything inevitably, you know, we've seen these movies before, you know, we hit the midpoint where everything, you know, the friends, you know, go at or, or you know, sort of break up and everyone goes their separate way and then you know, go on their, their journeys of, you know, their character arcs and like, that part of the movie, from that point on, I was like floored by how emotional and powerful it was. Mm. Um, it, it it really caught me very off guard because I felt myself like borderline, you know, I mean, I got as close to crying as I get. Even maybe wow. a little closer. Yeah. Um, I was, it really surprised me um, how much heart, to use, as you said, it had. Um, and I think Ashley Park is just such a star. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's she's just, she's so gorgeous. She's so watchable, um, and you know she's great with the comedy. And she really drove home those those really dramatic emotional beats as well. Um, so yeah, I was really really impressed because this is usually when the movies like this fall apart is when they mm-hmm. get to the serious part. Because then you're like, okay, well the fun's over, and now we have to like just go through the motions of the plot because the plot, you know, structure demands that, you know, our, our protagonist now is isolated and, and going through their, their lowest moment away from their friends and yada, yada, yada. Um, but like for me, like it really, really hit hard um, in that part of the movie. Um, the first half of the movie, I, I didn't love as much just because, you know, and, and we've said this a million times, something's either funny to you or it isn't. And and it just it I, I felt it straining to be funny, but it just it didn't really get a lot of laughs out of me. Um, mm. So it just kind of I, it just it couldn't stop reminding me of like I just like, OK, here's where it's, you know, patterning itself after this. Now it's doing this version of this. Now it's doing its version of this character. Now it's doing it just kind of felt like a little too referential um, to me. Um, mm. I wonder if that's of, why, of, because like one of the writer directors has been a long time writer director on family guy which is yeah very referential which is also why i think it's absolutely hilarious i think (laughs) right right Right. yeah yeah of course uh so yeah i I recognized her name and i was like yeah i guess that makes sense i'm family guy and i guess like you know referential is one word for it derivative is another um so i guess that's the so that's the referential is the nice version derivative is the critical version um and for me i think kind of went back and forth between those two um so but uh but yeah i mean i I thought that uh you know the cast was great uh you know i thought that you definitely had some took some pride some surprising turns here and there um and uh yeah i mean it definitely goes very hard in some very very over-the-top raunchy sequences um (laughs) uh it does not blink uh on a number of fronts so, but, uh, yeah. And, and, you know, in, in, in the end, you know, I, 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 you know, walked out feeling, uh, like, yeah, like I, I had, you know, more or less enjoyed myself. I just, yeah. Yeah. I think it just, it just didn't get the lulls going out of me the way I thought it would. Uh, it's one of those movies that I, um, 
when I saw it was available on VOD, I bought it. And whenever someone comes over to my house, <laughs> I'm going to make them watch it. I'm very excited. Um, I, I think so I the humor really hit for me, especially around a lot of the like. Um, so the main character played by Ashley Park, who um, <laughs> for all of the things she's known for, in our hearts, most known for <laughs> Girls 5 Eva. Girls 5 Eva, yeah. <laughs> the dead one. <laughs> she fell off an infinity pool. Um, <laughs> uh, she plays a little girl who's adopted and grows up in this uh, white community, and her and um, uh, her best friend Lolo, um, are played by Cherry Kohler, are now adults, and um, she, she goes on this trip. And I, and I think... The subtle things around how her as um, someone who was adopted and, and raised by white parents in a white community um, and how that sort of affects her view on um, uh, like her like subtle racism in China, um, mm -hmm. how it motivates her as a character to be uh, to be like an overachiever. Um, does that like the, the difference in their friendship and around like comfort being themselves? I think that like those aren't necessarily the things that are in that big, I think emotional moment that you are thinking about. Um, but I think they also ground the like really crazy raunchy humor throughout it. There's this wonderful scene uh, where they're getting on a train um, and they're trying to pick which cart to sit in. And she has all of these like, Ooh, not with that. Oh, they're probably drug dealers. They're criminals. And then she feels comfortable uh, sharing a car with uh, a woman who is played by Meredith Hagner from right. um, Search Party. Search Party. That is so hilarious. Um, mm -hmm. and, the, and the whole, even when they, they sort of like um, are off the train and she was like, if you find, we need to, uh, we, we have to go home so that we can work, so that we can get money, so that we can buy more cocaine. I need more cocaine. <laughs> <laughs> I the I don't know. The, I just thought the humor to me was like spot on. Um, I thought it was mm -hmm. one of the funniest things I've seen in a very long time. Um, and this one again, yeah, pick of the week. Definitely not appropriate for children. <laughs> no. Um, but uh, a great story and very full of heart. I'm sorry that you didn't enjoy it as much. Maybe I may make you watch it again. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm sure it'll be part of your your wedding weekend. <laughs> and now we all come together and watch Joyride. Uh, actually, that'll be the whole ceremony. Just everyone sit and watch it play behind you. <laughs> I mean, it's about friendship. It's about and family. Now, it's about and now for our vows, we will watch Joyride. Uh, <laughs> we do a music no, video. Exactly, exactly. And to your point about you know the the elements of the internalized racism that she experiences as a you know a, a, a woman who's adopted into a white family, white culture. I think it, that was well done in the movie for sure. And it reminded me of another movie that I highly recommend to you and any fan of Joyride that essentially is like the drama version of Joyride. Um, it came out this year as well. It's called Return to Soul. Okay. And uh, and it's similarly um, about a, 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 an Asian woman who was adopted by a white family in a white culture, in this case being in France, uh, who uh, sort of goes, uh, returns back to where to try to you know reconnect with her adoptive uh, mother or her biological mother rather. Um, and it's really, um, stylistically, it's really, I mean, it's, it's beautifully shot. It's really interesting. It's, it's just, yeah, I, it's, it's fascinating. Um, so it couldn't be more different tonally from this movie, but it's also, it's by no means straightforward tearjerker. Like it's a very, just like stylistically interesting indie, um, that's been very acclaimed this year. So, uh, so yes, return to soul. Um, I, I, I recommend as well. 
Um, but yeah, this one I'll give a consume. Uh, but uh, but yes, uh, I'm glad that you that this gives you so very much joy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, Joyride is still in theaters, and as I mentioned, it's available on VOD, and it is rated R. Our last movie of the week is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. After years of being sheltered from the human world, the Turtle Brothers set out to win the hearts of New Yorkers and be accepted as normal teenagers. Their new friend, April O'Neil, helps them take on a mysterious crime syndicate, but they soon get in over their heads when an army of mutants is unleashed upon them. So, funny story. There is a connecting thread between these two movies. Um, <laughs> where at one part during Joyride, they were kind of like giving um, Ashley Park's character shit for having never slept with an Asian guy, and then she mentions that she masturbates oh, yeah. to Splinter. Oh, that's right. <laughs> because he's I a he's like he's a rat. He's like he's a good father. <laughs> I forgot about that. Oh my gosh, you're totally right. <laughs> Look, if oh. you double header Joyride and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Hate Mayhem, <laughs> you will understand me as a person and what I think is I... funny and what I think is sweet. Um, Totally. This, these two, this, this, this me, whole movie, Ninja Turtles. Was Rebecca also going to fucking love this? I, was, I left. I was like, I don't know. This doesn't make sense, but my heart wants to say this is my favorite movie of all time. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was so proud of myself for not having succumbed to the um, uh, notifications I was getting on my phone about the crossover Pizza Hut Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle <laughs> special that they were running all week. They were really just like, getting at me um all of my favorite things this i was a big tmnt uh ninja turtle head when i was growing up the show the mm -hmm. video game all came out at like yeah. i was like eight and i drew all the characters i wore the t-shirts i had the action figures i had the lunch box like which one was your favorite i uh, guess <laughs> <laughs> Wait, let me think. Uh, Raphael? Wow. No. <laughs> You're like, podcast over. Uh. <laughs> As I react in a very Raphael fashion. <laughs> it's, it's break everything and get very upset. Um, <laughs> I was always a fan of Donatello. Uh, yes, yes, yes. But in this movie, I'll say I, I, I'm leaning more towards Michelangelo. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I always forget which which one's purple, which one's blue. Uh, blue is Leonardo. Purple is Donatello. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Donatello was also my favorite. The one with the bow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Little bow. Yeah. Uh, I was also uh, a Ninja Turtles youth, um, mm. which I which I kind of almost forgot. I mean, this is really. I mean, geriatric millennials are being put through it recently <laughs> between the between the loss of Paul Rubens. And right. now having Ninja Turtles reemerge for like the TikTok Gen Z generation in this movie, uh, it's like, oh, boy, the things that are happening to our memories of our childhood mm -hmm. <laughs> are, are, are considerable right now. Like I had forgotten, I like for, for Paul Rubens when I was kind of like you know thinking about that, contemplating his life and. You know, I was like, I was thinking, oh, I wasn't really much of a peewee person, you know, like I enjoyed his his later contributions. But but then I was like, oh, wait, no, that's not true, because I absolutely watched Peewee's Playhouse like religiously growing up and mm -hmm. they had the toys and all that stuff. So I just like it somehow convinced myself I was not a peewee person because like so many other people were performing such an extreme over the top peewee fandom. I'm like, oh, I'm not like that. Mm. Um, but I did absolutely grow up with it. And Ninja Turtles, I was like for sure a big Ninja Turtles kid, you know, because mm -hmm. like, I mean, I think of, I think of Ninja Turtles as being like 1990 incarnate. 
Mm, yeah. Um, and I was eight. I was an eight-year-old boy in 1990, which is the exact <laughs> exact way to be as a Ninja Turtles fan. Yeah. Um, so, like, I was all the way in. Um, and then I remember, like, the live-action movies from back then. Oh, wow. I remember. I remember being a little like off putting because like seeing it live action. I remember like they were like kind of dark and violent. And I was like, Ooh, like this is like as a little kid, I was like, Oh, this is kind of not the vibe I like. Like I like the vibe from the animated series. Right. Um, you know, like that's kind of, you know, uh, give me, give me Muppet babies. Uh, <laughs> 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 I like the Muppet babies version of these turtles. Uh, so, and I gather they've had other incarnations since then that mm-hmm. I guess I haven't kept up with. I think this is the first new Ninja Turtles thing I've watched like since then. So whatever yeah. else has happened in the intervening years, I'm just like, I have no idea. Same. And thank God. That would be weird if you <laughs> were still really <laughs> keeping up with all of the things. Um, but I, I agree. And I think like at that time, Ninja Turtles, like they weren't as aggressive as like Transformers or G.I. Joe's. Mm. Like the animated series was very funny and they were very sweet and they liked pizza. Like it was a very... Yeah chill fighting story i don't know and make i know there were the comic books first but you also didn't need to be as into the comic books to to just enjoy the show i think mm-hmm. um the other show that kind of had shared a tie was the x-men animated series oh, but that yeah. to me always felt like well if you don't know the whole thing i don't know that whole thing and this okay. this one was oh, just very funny captain and planet sweet. captain planet too i feel like is that same era? oh yeah mm-hmm. but the teenage mutant ninja turtle merch was so cool it really had mm-hmm. that you know it's like the cowabunga it felt cool it It had a pizza fundamental pizza tie-in which it did between the pizza hut book club this (laughs) right big big pizza was hard at work Uh, (laughs) (laughs) they they got their claws in it big hut yeah yeah. This, no, absolutely. And I think I feel like I feel like Ninja Turtles almost single-handedly made pizza cool to a whole generation of kids. A hundred percent agree. A hundred percent. I don't know. I don't know that we would have like walked around wanting pizza all the time if it wasn't for this for Ninja Turtles being like, no, you have to have pizza. It's the coolest thing. We're like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I a hundred percent agree. I, I wonder if they know the cultural impact that they had. Um, <laughs> Did you feel like this movie uh, gave you this a similar feeling to the animated series from the uh, late eighties, early nineties? I my 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 instinct, my impulse is no, it didn't. Um, but I mean, to, the way you were describing it, though, I was like, well, it does sound similar uh, in terms of being a little bit more like chill. Um, you know, this is definitely chill, almost to a fault. Um, like it's very. To, to me watching this, I was like, oh, okay, I thought what I was going to be getting super served here was like geriatric millennial nostalgia, but uh, that's not what I'm getting at all. This is not for me. Uh, like, this feels like it's made for Gen Z TikTok kids. Um, mm. Like, it just, just like the overall tone was so, so, so laid back. Um, and like the overall, like, it was just, it just felt like it was so, yeah, it just felt like really, really, really chill to a fault almost. Um, so, and like, and just like the, 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 the humor of it, the edits, like the, 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 and the referential is absolutely the word for this one. Cause of course there's a million pop culture references here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it all just felt very, yeah, it, just, it felt like they were going out of their way to specifically target. Whereas Barbie, like we we're talking about earlier is not for kids. It is for adults. It's for adults, especially millennials who grew up with Barbies. This is Ninja Turtles being reverse engineered, I think, to appeal to like younger kids, uh, especially. I mean, maybe, maybe not like children, but certainly I would say like 11, 12 year olds, I think, would would watch this and like vibe on it quite a bit to like today's today's 11 and 12 year olds. 
11, 12, 40 <laughs> something. Right? <laughs> um, exactly. And some of us are a 12 year old at heart and that's okay. <laughs> I, I think that the main difference between the show and, and again, we're only talking about that one show um, and this movie <laughs> yeah. is that when you look back on the show now, even though it's like right in the name, they don't seem like teenagers, except for Michelangelo and the pizza part. They do have this mm. like heightened sense. All of them have this like heightened sense of responsibility and they kind of seem like young men. Yeah. <laughs> Ninja they Turtles. They sound like men. Yeah. The voice actors sound oh, like adult males. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> totally. And, and this one like reinforces the fact that they're teenagers. And I think yes. that's the, the difference that is that you're maybe talking about. Um, because if they're teenagers now, like, yeah, they're going to be doing teenagery things and, and yeah. like acting like teenagers now act. Um, yeah. and I think that per- that's perfect. I think, uh, like all their individual characteristics or little personality types, like are the same, just, you know, in a different time, time and place. Um, they, there's a whole, um, a whole scene around them being babies, which, <laughs> uh oh. Hmm. So yeah. cute. So cute. There's this. Yeah. Did you did you make it through that scene? Okay. Uh. But yeah. Yes, I did. Um. <laughs> barely, but I did. Also, like, there's a kind of a different story here. Uh, I think in the animated series, Master Splinter was a a man who was a ninja master or karate mm-hmm. master who then got exposed to the ooze and at the same time as a rat or something. But in this one, he starts as a rat, and then when you see him like be a single father to the Ninja Turtles. And he has this like eighties hair and mustache. So good. Yeah, so cute. Um, his whole, uh, he's voiced by Jackie Chan. That's mm-hmm. so funny. Um, mm-hmm. it, but yeah, it leans into them being like four teenage brothers. So there are like moments where they're just like saying nonsense, riffing on each other the way you, I imagine you would if you had, siblings but sometimes like friends do you just keep talking about something nonsensical um and that is sort of like their this movie is about their transition out of this just the four of them with their father in the sewers into the real world and that's um facilitated by uh meeting april o'neill who in this series is voiced mm-hmm. by ayo debris from mm-hmm. most recently the bear who i think does a wonderful teenage uh, um she's she's the best part of the movie for me I, she's I that wonderful she, she, i thought she walked away with the whole thing i was like what well, i i thought it was her toward the beginning and as it kept going i'm like oh that's for sure her totally uh she's so fucking funny in this movie and the the way they the characters meet each other the way they realize what they have in common um how she like yeah, not just helps them helps to bring them into the world, but also helps them to like get out of their shells and like interact <laughs> with other people in ways that aren't just inside jokes. Yeah, phenomenal. I, I love how the character was reconceived for sure. Oh, um, definitely. Also yeah, a teenager, she, right? Not like an adult right, news reporter. Still, still being voiced by an adult, but yeah, still meant to be a teenager. And like to your point about yeah, I know that like I, I didn't realize until after the after the movie is over that like the four voice actors doing the Ninja Turtles were literally just random kids. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. like, like these are like, and it made me like so much of their dialogue felt almost unscripted. I was like, did they like, let, I wonder if they really let these kids just like riff and improvise. Like, so we did to, like, read some yeah. like trivia about it. And I guess this is like mm-hmm. one of the rare animated movies where they were allowed to record at the same time in the same space. 
So instead of just everyone reading their lines one off, that like there was like yeah. at one point a, a scene where like seven voice, seven, seven of them were together mm-hmm. recording their voice and it allowed for a lot more of that like riffing. Yeah, um, you can feel that. You can feel that difference for sure. Mm-hmm. Also, also love Rose Byrne doing the crocodile. Leatherhead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I love that she played up her Australian accent and of course love the ongoing platonic love fest of Seth Rogen and Rose Byrne. Of course, <laughs> love mm-hmm. seeing them. Uh, Paul Rudd is Mondo Gecko. Um, I think the one thing that was, you know, the most surprising about this movie is that it didn't have any of the villains that you're used to. I mean, you get a little spoiler at the end about what's coming, but you do, you don't see Krang, you don't see Splint or uh, you don't see Shredder. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you do see a whole new cast of villains and, um, led by Superfly, who's voiced by Ice Cube, mm-hmm. um, and his whole family of um, parallel mutants who were sort of um, transformed by the same ooze that that transformed the Ninja Turtles, and um, in like a very you know X Men type way, you have two groups with different opinions about how to react to the fact that they're not accepted by humans. And uh, there's a great scene with Paul Rudd as Mondo Greco and um, Michelangelo where they're just like vibing on each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, just <adorable>. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was just so much fun. I, I love the animation is beautiful. Um, I have like since I've watched it I, every day, I keep up like loading a tab that says TMNT merch and then closing it and being like, I cannot, I cannot save it for the registry. <laughs> they do a great scene in here that like references the side scrolling from the classic arcade game. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. They do mm-hmm. a little throwback to the Go Ninja, Go Ninja Go from Vanilla Ice's oh, song on their movie. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I remember that song well. Definitely <laughs> that that whole era. Oof, just just picture <laughs> just 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 neon green everywhere. <laughs> you should see what I'm wearing right now. But anyway. <laughs> You're like it's a whole costume. <laughs> I did. I did. When we went to the movies, there was a family in front of us, and the little girl had a little, like you know, the kind of shirt you put on over, and it has like the shell on the back and the little bands. Um, it was so cute. I'm so did glad beat, kids are still. Did into you beat her up and take it? I beat it? the hell out of her. I took it. it. Doesn't fit, but it's mine now. She can't have it. Hey, listen, I can have it taken out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let it out. Wear it down the aisle. It's fine. <laughs> Totally get it. Totally get it. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, it was funny. It was definitely one of those things where like I was seeing the audience and I was like observing people much younger than me having much bigger reactions to it than I was having. And I was like, huh, well, OK, I'm glad the kids are, are vibing on it. Uh, you know, I I was I was not as much. Uh, but, you know, as I as I said, I thought that Iowa Debris was was the standout and, I, and, uh, you know, and I, and the animation style is definitely like, this is a great sort of continuation of what was started by the first spider verse movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, in terms of this, this whole, wholly different uh, visual style. Um, so I was, you know, continually was fascinated by the visual look of it. And once again, I am glad that it gave you so much joy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this one's also getting a binge for me. Um, and it's also the other pick of the week. <laughs> I do what I want. <laughs> yeah yeah it's a it's a consume for me but i came into it knowing that i was like i was like this episode we could potentially fight a lot 
because I knew that you loved Joyride and Mutant Ninja Turtles a whole lot. And uh, and but you know what? I think we made it through okay. Uh, but I just, I just knew Ninja Turtles in particular, like the whole time I was just like, this is Rebecca in a movie. This is, this is <laughs> oh, Rebecca in, so in film form. So yeah, I absolutely picked up on the heavy Olarte vibes of the entire film. <laughs> oh, that makes me so happy. You you see me. <laughs> you're like, even though you thought I was a Raphael, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out you see me better than I see myself. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, now I have to put this, this desk back together that I broke. <laughs> Damn it. I mean, clearly, I'm not a Leonardo, but um, we very few can be. Um, it is in theaters still. It just uh, opened this weekend, and it is rated PG. And that's it, Jason. We will come up with something else for next time. Oh, we still need to see Theater Camp. Oh, that's right. Oh, I have, and Saw I have Patrol. Seen yes. Yes. And Saw Patrol. So come, we'll hit, hit us up when it's Saw Patrol weekend and we'll be back. <laughs> <laughs> um, wonderful. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Um, and it's been a delight as always. Bye, guys. Bye bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.